I remember the first time that I got to sit and witness to someone, to preach the gospel to them and allow them this opportunity to respond to that gospel. Let me kind of paint this picture for you. We were in Africa. We were doing this hut-to-hut evangelism, and it was something that we were all just completely scared to death to be doing. Right? We were, we were in this strange place, strange country, strange people, walking into people's houses. And to make matters worse, we had this interpreter next to us that had to speak for both people trying to communicate to each other, which is a very frustrating and difficult thing to do. And I was a new Christian still. I think I had only been saved for maybe six months whenever we got onto this mission trip. And my pastor told me, the next hut that we come up to, that's yours. You're going to go in there and you're going to preach the gospel to those people. And you can imagine the fear that came over me at that moment. But I had a tract with me, and I was able to read from that tract. And I got to witness to the mother of the family and pray with her. And it was one of the coolest moments of my life. I still have a picture of me and Krista with that family on my computer. And as scary as it was to be going up to people that we didn't know and preaching the gospel to them, it was one of the most glorious times walking in God's will for our lives. In fact, this is God's will for all of our lives. If you would, turn real quickly to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. That's Matthew chapter 28. And Pastor Ricky read this last Sunday. In verse 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot that we can take away from that, but the Great Commission was not just for those disciples. In fact, it's for all of us who profess Christ as Lord in our lives. You see, this gospel is good news to all people. And we should identify with Paul in Romans 1, verse 16, when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But how do, how do people hear of this good news? Do we just simply model it in our lives the best that we can and hope that it gets the message across to people? No. It's not that living in light of the gospel is wrong, but living in light of the gospel does not preach the gospel. Do we wear t-shirts that say Jesus on them and hope that it gets the message across? No. And look, we love our t-shirts, 
I promise you. But these shirts do not preach the gospel to an unbelieving world. And Paul goes on in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. If I can find it. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if we believe this to be true, then why do we tend to run the other way when it comes to preaching the gospel to others? You see, much like Jonah in our story today, when it comes to preaching the gospel and repentance to others, we tend to flee. And there are two reasons this can happen. One, we truly believe that God can and will save and and, and but like Jonah, we don't want God to save them. Or two, we don't believe that God can and will save, and therefore we see no need for evangelism. We see no need for preaching the gospel to the people around us. And I'll admit, I have ran and still sometimes still run from God when it comes to this, and I need to repent of that. And maybe this is true for you as well. And what we see in our text today is that Jonah falls into that first option. See, Jonah believes that God can and will save the Ninevites, but he doesn't want God to save them. So you can turn to Jonah chapter 1, and we'll see, we'll start in verse 1, and what we're going to see in our text today is that you can try and run from God, but you'll never be able to hide from God. See, we can try and outrun God's calling in our life, but God will always win in the end. So starting in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And what I first want us to notice is God's sovereignty over his creation. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so from verse 1 all the way through verse 31, we see that God creates everything, including mankind. And therefore, God is sovereign over his creation. 
And that word sovereign, it just means that God is the supreme king or Lord and therefore demands our loyalty above all. And because Jonah is running from God in disobedience, God being the sovereign God that he is, sends a storm upon the sea. And this is where our text picks up. And this storm was so brutal that it, it threatened to break up the ship, which would have resulted in the death of everyone aboard it. And these, these mariners, they were used to the storms. This wasn't their first rodeo. But they were scared. And then we see in the story that these, these pagan sailors were mariners who were, are now afraid for their lives. They begin to cry out to their gods. And notice the little g gods there. These are false gods. And so we need to understand the false gods of the ancient world. In the ancient world, something known as polytheism was a prevalent belief system. That meant that you believed in many gods, not just one. And there was essentially a God for everything that man couldn't seem to control. There was a God of fertility to help with having babies. There was a God of commerce to help with the selling and trading of goods. There was a God of rain to help with the rain. And even a God of the harvest to help grow crops. Now these gods could be manipulated. They could be bartered with. And some of them can be, even be killed by the other gods. So you tell me, what kind of god is that? And for whatever reason, out of, the, out of fear for their own lives, they begin to cry out to these gods for help. And what we begin to see is that these gods can't help them because false gods will never be able to save. Now something we need to think about at this point is the false gods in our own life. What are you trusting in to control the things you can't seem to control? What are you trusting in during times of suffering and trials to save you from those things? This can be money, jobs, kids, it can be your parents, it can be school, relationships, it can be a lot of things. Because you see, now we don't have the same ancient gods that they did. Well, we do. They just look different now. And we must identify these things in our lives, and we need to repent of trusting in them over trusting God. And then moving on, Jonah is found below deck fast asleep. So imagine this ship being thrown around in this crazy storm and these mariners are, are running around crying out to all these different gods. Trying to figure out which one is mad at them. And they begin to throw cargo overboard to try and lighten the ship so that it will stay on top of the waves. And the captain runs below deck and he finds Jonah sleeping. So the captain wakes Jonah up and he essentially says, how can you be sleeping at a time like this? 
Wake up and cry out to your God, and maybe your God will consider saving us. Because you see, all they really knew about Jonah at this point was that he was like them, and that he worshiped some sort of God, and that God could possibly be mad. So, before I move on to the next set of verses, I want us to notice this contrast between Jonah and the pagan sailors. You see, the pagans were, were scared for their lives, and they ran to the only gods they knew to save them. But Jonah, the Hebrew prophet that knew the Lord, the sovereign God of creation, was below deck asleep. And when they woke him up, he seems to say, sorry, I can't help you. And so the mariners, they start to resort to a different method to try and figure out which God is mad at them. Picking up in verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And again, I want us to notice God's sovereignty here. Casting lots was sort of like playing Yahtzee, if anybody remembers the game Yahtzee. You put a bunch of dice in a cup and you shake it up and you throw them out on the table. Might be aging myself a little bit, but... That's sort of like what casting lots was, only when you were casting lots, you was trying to determine your God's will in that situation. And the Lord used this method numerous times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, so God is even sovereign over something as small as shaking a rock in a cup and throwing it out to see who it lands on. Proverbs 16, verse 33 <clears throat> it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so if, if God is sovereign over something as small as a rock in a cup, how much more is he sovereign over the big things? And so we see in this story, the mariners decide to, to cast lots and find out exactly who is responsible for this storm. And the lot falls on Jonah. And the mariners begin to ask a series of questions. And the answer to these questions would have helped them figure out exactly which God Jonah had made mad. Again, looking at the false gods of the ancient world, we see different people from different places and different nationalities. They all worshiped different gods. 
And so the questions that were asked would have helped them to identify what gods Jonah worshipped. Was he from a dry area that commonly worshipped a rain god? Did he, did he work a trade job that commonly worshipped a god of commerce or trade? Or was he a Hebrew that only worshipped the Lord? Well, Jonah comes clean. We see Jonah admit that he's a Hebrew and that he worships the Lord who created the seas and the land. And God says in Isaiah 46 verse 9 that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So there is only one true God. And these pagan mariners may or may not understand who this God is, but they grew exceedingly afraid of this God because they knew that he controlled everything. So these mariners understand that if this God can make this kind of storm, then they should probably fear and worship this God over the gods they were calling out to who could do nothing to save him. And the mariners essentially begin to ask Jonah, what do we need to do to please the Lord and make all this stop? And Jonah, still refusing to repent and obey the Lord, he tells them to just throw him overboard. And this would have been certain death for Jonah in this storm. And we need to understand what Jonah is saying here. Many will argue that Jonah is being selfless here. That Jonah was sacrificing himself on behalf of the pagans. More importantly, we need to understand that Jonah is not the hero of this story. God is. We need to understand that God is, not, is, is the only hero in every story of the Bible that we read. And what Jonah is really saying here is that he would rather die than repent and see the Ninevites saved. And again, I want us to notice the contrast between Jonah and the pagan mariners. Jonah, still refusing to repent and walk in obedience to God's calling for him, would rather die than go to Nineveh. But the pagans, the pagans are now fearing the sovereign Lord of creation and seeking to do what pleases him. And as we'll see in the last few verses, fearing and seeking to please the Lord pays off for them. Picking up in verse 13. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? What... Uh, that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what we see here is the, the mariners first, they try to overpower the waves by rowing as hard as they can to try and get to dry land. But as the, the storm grows stronger, they cry out to the Lord. And notice that they're asking for forgiveness here. Say, oh Lord, don't hold this man's innocent blood against us for throwing him overboard. For you have done as it pleases you. And they throw Jonah overboard and the sea calms down. The mariners are saved. And now this isn't the end of the story, but I want to take a minute and point out three things. One, the sovereignty of God in stopping the storm. The sovereign Lord can start the storms and he can, he can stop the storms. And so why wouldn't we trust in him? And two, the contrast. The pagans, after trying to make it on their own, finally cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. And while Jonah still refusing to humble himself and repent is thrown overboard to his judgment. And in chapter 2, we will see Jonah finally repent. Just a little spoiler alert. And number three, we want to see how this story points us to Christ. So you can turn to Luke 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 22 through 25. It says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? See, it was Jesus Christ that was asleep on the boat, only he wasn't doing it out of disobedience. He wasn't running from the Lord. And it was Jesus Christ who commanded the storm to stop that day. And this reveals two things that we need to see. One, Jesus is the greater Jonah. And two, that Jesus is God. In Matthew 12, verses 38 and 41, we won't go there. But Jesus is essentially using the story of Jonah to rebuke the Pharisees. And he ends his rebuke with these words. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And he was referring to himself. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater prophet. 
And the fact that Jesus rebuked the storm and it ceased, just as God stopped the storm in our story today, reveals that Jesus is the God-man promised all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all. And as we finish up our text today, we'll see that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all, including the souls of men. So the mariners in the NASB, it says, the men became extremely afraid of the Lord. So imagine going through all this. You're on a, on a boat, this st crazy storm comes upon you. The people are running around like crazy, trying to cry out to all these guys, throwing stuff overboard. All this stuff is happening. And, and finally, you, they, you throw this guy overboard and everything just stops. You know it was the Lord. See, these men are now saved. And they worship the Lord by offering up sacrifices and making vows to the Lord. And the author, the author here doesn't really tell us what these vows are, but we can assume by the context that they were probably making vows to continue worshiping the Lord only from that point on. See, these pagan mariners who worshiped all kinds of false gods are now worshiping the sovereign Lord of all. So what is our response to this story? <clears throat> Are we walking in God's will for our life? Or are we somehow trying to outrun God and hide from him like Jonah was? Do we see ourselves looking more like Jonah or the pagans? Do you look out and see other people's wickedness and think to yourself, there is no way God's going to save those people? Do you look at those that you may not like or get along with and think to yourself, I don't want God to save those people. You see, that's what Jonah did. And if you're doing the same thing, you're much more like Jonah than you thought you were. But you're not alone in this because we're all guilty of it at times. And so what do we do about it? If we find ourselves running from the Lord, running from his will, or just straight walking in disobedience, then we need to humble ourselves and repent. We need to cry out to the Lord in repentance, asking for his wisdom, asking for his strength, and asking for his boldness to walk into God's will for our lives bravely and boldly, and as hard and as scary as it might be, remember that our Lord is the sovereign Lord of all. And we're doing it for His glory, in His strength, in His wisdom, to bring people to know Him. It's a lot less about us and a lot more about Christ and making Him known. And remember, when people reject your message, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. 
So if you're a Christian, you've made that public profession of faith in Christ alone and repented of your sins. Are you trusting in Christ, our sovereign Lord? If not, then start today. Run to Christ. Trust in Christ. And rest in Christ. For he's the one who cares for you. And if you're not a Christian or aren't sure, then understand the gospel. That Christ died for the sins of his people. He took on the wrath that we all deserve. He was buried and three days later was raised to life and now sits at the right hand of God in glory, reigning from heaven. So trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Cry to him in repentance and see that he is good. And don't leave here today without talking to someone and truly understanding what the gospel means for you, for your life, and begin living in light of the gospel. Looking for those out there that are lost, that have never heard the gospel, that don't know Jesus Christ. They don't have life and life abundantly, but you can hand that to them. Don't be scared. The band, y'all can come on up. <clears throat> Let's pray.